Let's go to the book of John and just begin in chapter 1 with a familiar passage. In John 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Another uh, translation of that same passage says, the darkness could not overpower it. It says, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. It's important that we think about John, because John was a prophet. And all the prophets, from the beginning of time to up to this point, have done something that they all shared in common, and that was prepare the way for the Lord. It was something important. It, it, no matter what prophet we're talking about, whether they were calling Israel back to God, whether they were condemning injustice, at some point they all, they all lead up to the fact that we had to be ready for something that was about to happen, that God was coming. There were certain prophets that talked about it more than most. Daniel, Isaiah, where you know they prophesy about the coming Messiah. They prophesy about the coming King. But the Old Testament is full of references of Jesus Christ, full of references of the Messiah. Though Jesus' name is not mentioned, he's spoken of throughout the whole thing. If you were a Pharisee in this day and age, if you were uh, a teacher, if you were uh, a ruler of a synagogue, which a ruler of a synagogue means that you basically were in charge of that church. I mean, that was almost like a, a... their form of pastor in, in some ways. You wouldn't be in charge of teaching. You'd be in charge of making sure that people uh, heard the word and understood it. If you were one of these people educated in the word of God, the scribes, the Pharisees, the, even the Sadducees, then you would have been experts on the Messiah. The Messiah was talked about a lot, probably more than anything else, especially under Roman rule. He was a favorite topic, the Messiah, the Messiah. What's interesting about that is when we come to the next few verses, it says in verse 8 or verse 7, he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The fascinating thing about this is, is that he did come to his own. Jesus didn't talk, I mean, he didn't prepare the Israelites for his coming and then show up in Babylon. He didn't didn't prepare his own people for him to show up and then come and, and Joseph Smith or not, he didn't come to North America. He came to his own people who were meant to recognize him, but they didn't. The reason that has anything to do with us is because we have become people who know the word real well. We need to be people who know the word real well. The Pharisees' problem was not their education. Their problem wasn't the fact that they knew about the Messiah. Their problem was they 
they'd come to the point where they knew everything about him but never really expected him anymore. And I know that as much as we like to distance ourselves from that way of thinking, there are times when we know we would tell our friends we believe something. We would tell ourselves we believe something. But is that expectation that it will actually happen, is it there? Is it there? Do I know all the verses that back it up, but yet don't really expect it to happen in my life, in my church, in my family? This is something that I don't tell you just as, you know, you need to get this straight. This is something I've dealt with several times in my life. Throughout my life, you have to realign your thoughts so that you get back to that place, realign your soul, your heart, every part of you, where you get back to that place where you eagerly anticipate that God will do what He says He's going to do even if you've had to wait for a while. And waiting is the thing, isn't it? The Bible says, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. You notice those two things they need? It doesn't say, be, it doesn't say that everybody inherits the promises of God. Even though the promises of God are for everyone, not everyone inherits these promises. Not everyone gets what God's promised. And the reason is, is it says, the ones who do inherit it had faith and they had patience. And patience doesn't just mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm good at waiting, I'm good at not uh, rocking the boat, I'm good at staying still for a while. Patience, in a, in, a, in a scriptural sense, in a godly sense, is waiting with an expectation. Patience is enduring when everyone else says, okay, I give up, I quit, we're going home. And that faith is a reliance, is a trust, is, a, is an undoubted expectation that he, he's already said it, so basically it's already done in my mind. All I've got to do is just continue to walk it out. Let's go to the book of Luke for a moment. And I'd like us to look in the book of Luke first at We'll start a little bit ahead, and then we'll actually backtrack if we could. No, no, I'm sorry. We'll, we'll, we'll start at the beginning. Let's start with Mary. In verse 26 of chapter 1. Luke 1, 26 says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. For good reason, right? I mean, you know that that's kind of the, the, that's the start of something, right? You know, nobody just says, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you, and then walks away. There's always something that comes after that, and she's waiting for the other shoe to drop. Why are you call, Why are you saying I'm favored? I mean, we guys. I mean, when I said how are you, I heard some of you say blessed and highly favored. We understand that we're favored because of Jesus. Like Jesus favored us, not because of what we did, but because he did what he did. He made us worthy when we were unworthy. But you gotta you gotta understand in that day and age to say you were favored meant there was something different about you. And she's thinking, uh oh, what's different about me? You know, as much as we say, let's be different, let's be special, most of us don't really want to be. We really don't want to be the odd duck. We don't want to be the one picked out of the crowd as not really fitting in, even if it's in a good sense. Mary 
is highly favored. Greetings and salutations to this woman. He says, greetings favored one. The Lord is with you. She kept pondering this. She was perplexed by it. And then in verse 30, the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and the king, his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For this reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. She who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. You know, angels don't have to say things like that for normal statements. They don't have to say things like that if God told you, I want you to go buy gas at co-op. They say nothing will be impossible for God right after they told you something impossible that God was going to do. You know? And we're going to say nothing's impossible for God. We have to expect there are going to be times where what he says comes in direct conflict with our brains and be okay with that, right? We always, I've always wanted to have a logical answer for everybody. I've always wanted to be the one that said, well, here's how this makes sense. Maybe nobody's explained it to you like this, but maybe if I can just explain it this way, it'll finally make sense and all your problems will go away. But there are so many things that God says that you've just got to start with faith and the rest follows. That, that there are, you, you might not get every answer you're looking for right away, if at all. And at this point, the answer the angel says is not a complex scientific explanation of how this is going to happen, but simply the Holy Spirit's going to come, it'll happen, nothing's impossible with God. And that's what you need to know. Her response to that is brilliant. Her response is exactly the response we need. She says this, Behold the bond slave of the Lord. Behold his bond slave. I am his. I mean, I basically do whatever you want with me. Behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And I want to make something very clear. An angel as the word in, in Greek simply um, means and is defined by, an angel is not somebody who comes up with their own opinions and thoughts. An angel is nothing more than a messenger, right? The angel carries the voice of the Lord. The angel Gabriel is not making this up here. He's not reasoning. He is carrying a message. So when she says, I'm the Lord's bond slave, may it be done to me according to your word, she's not talking about Gabriel's word. She's talking about God's word. Whatever you said, God, okay, let that happen in my life. I'm going to start getting ready for it. I'm going to expect it. I'm going to go find Elizabeth. I'm going to go tell her I'm pregnant. All of these things. But, I, I mean, as much as this is going to mess up my life, I believe you're right. I believe, as, as weird as it is, that nobody on the history of the planet before this time or after this time, has ever conceived without getting together with a man. This has never happened, well, at least with, there had to be two parts to this. Okay, let's not get into science. 
Some, there are ways to do it without a man, but a man was involved at some point, right? So this, she, I, I mean, up to this point and after this point, there's never been a virgin birth. Let's just say that. Never happened. And so she could have just stayed at home going, no, no, that's impossible. That doesn't make sense. Maybe I need to do something. Maybe I need to be a little bit like Abraham and, and find somebody. Maybe I need to do something. But she simply accepted what the angel said. She said, all right, you do that. May it be done to me according to your word. When she goes and sees Elizabeth, in verse 39, at this time Mary arose, at this time. So she got up right away and went to go see Lizzie. There was no delay. There was no period of, of acceptance. There was just, all right, let me go see Elizabeth, see if this is true. Well, not even to see if it's true, but to, 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 she was excited. This is somebody I can identify with. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, she entered the house. She greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard in Mary's greeting, the baby leaped up in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped up in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Did you hear that? And that's a key verse, and that's one for all of us. And if you have to sub substitute the feminine for the masculine there to fit you, that's great. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. You know that God speaks all the time. You know, I've heard several people ask the question, what, what do we do when God is silent? And I understand there are times where not, uh, you're not ready to hear exactly what you think you're ready to hear. I understand there are times where it may feel like silence, but I think most of the time, hear what I say, most of the time, that we think God is being quiet, we're not really listening. Or we're listening for something specific that we want to hear, not exactly what He wants to say. A lot of times we blame God for silence that isn't His fault. It's not Him not speaking, it's us not listening. Why is it that righteous, devout people heard the voice of the Lord and no one else did? Why is it that, that somehow the people that God picked were the ones that were already seeking Him? Why is it that some people hear and are led by God and some people just say, I don't know what God wants from me, I don't know His voice, I, I've never heard it before. You have to learn how to hear. You have to learn how to open your heart and open your ears. And you have to be willing to hear whatever he says. In John chapter 5, Jesus says something very, very striking to me. He said, I hear. Whatever I hear, I judge. And I know that my judgment is true because I don't seek my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. What he's saying is, what I hear from God, I have to judge what I hear. I have to tell you, I mean, we hear things all the time, right? But the reason you can trust what I say God said to me is because I'm not seeking my own will. The reason you can trust that I'm hearing from God is because I didn't go to God with the answer already. I said, what do you want? If you want to accurately hear from God, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but if you want to accurately hear from God, you have to lay your opinion down. And you have to say, I have no opinion, I have no bias I'm seeking your will, not, not, a, not a, a stamp on my own will. Mary simply said, let it be done to me just as you've said. She didn't add any special requests to it. 
She didn't say, all right, well, what about this and what about that? She just simply said, okay, let that happen. And then Elizabeth points out that great, that great blessing on Mary when she says, blessed is she who believed that there'd be a fulfillment. What is fulfillment? Fulfillment means God said something, it will happen. There's already been part of it take place in you, but blessed is the person that believes that God who started it will finish it. That if God said it, it's going to happen. God's looking for people like that. That will actually believe. Even when it takes some time to wait. Now Mary didn't have to wait that long. She was was pretty quick. There are other things. Let's look in chapter 2. There are other times where you do have to wait a little. And your soul is strained and pulled in different directions for you to just kind of push the things that God said into a category in your heart that's basically just reserved for things that you believe on some level to be true. And you tell everybody you believe it's true, but you don't really expect it. You know, when you're expecting something, when you're really expecting something, there's everything's different about you. Your face, your, your action, your, your thoughts, what you say. When you really expect something, there's, there's this feeling about it. There's this air about you that you are waiting for something that you're expecting. You know, the Bible talks about uh, people that he's, he, I mean, the New Testament especially, talks about those that are eagerly anticipating and waiting for his coming the ones that are looking forward to his return i mean and you know what i don't think those people are the ones that you know what he's not what he's talking about is not people that get all kooky and put on the rapture goggles and the rapture socks and just say you know what i'm not sending my kids to school it's a waste of time he's coming any day because jesus said here's what i'm looking for When I come back, I want to find my people doing what I left him here doing. When your boss leaves and he says, I'm coming back, if you expect he's coming back, you keep working. You don't want to catch him. I mean, you don't want him to catch you taking a nap by the burger flipping station where you should be flipping burgers, but instead you thought you were on your own for a while, so you're playing, you know, uh, what, some sort of game you made up with your coworkers, and you're going to put it on YouTube. That doesn't work. If you expect he's coming back any minute, you're working. Not because we're afraid of what he'll do if he finds us not working, but simply because this is what he put us here to do. You know, God, Jesus is not expecting you to make the rapture happen, to make the second coming happen. However you play that out, whatever your end times theology is, you don't need to make it happen and you really can't stop it. Our part, spread the gospel. Our part, spread the light, spread the kingdom. Our part, tell everybody we can about Jesus. And when he comes, he comes. When he comes, he comes. Forget, forget all the all the, the, the weird little preparation things where you just, you know, go back to a cave life with all your canned goods and just say, well, you know what, I don't, I'm, not gonna, I'm just not going to be around society anymore because I'm waiting for Jesus because the whole reason he left you here was to be his ambassadors until he came back. And Peter says the reason, and he says it by the Holy Spirit, the reason that Jesus has not returned yet is not because he's slow but because he's patient. There's a difference. If he's, a, if he's slow, he's letting us down. If he's patient, he's giving everyone more of a chance. 
Why would he have to be patient if we weren't doing anything? If he's being patient, we need to do our part. Amen. Let me continue. All right, so chapter 2, there's a moment where they come, verse 21, when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. You know, they, they always waited eight days before they named that child. When the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, that's 40 days, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb should be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice, according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Actually, just a side note, this is not what everybody gave. This is what you gave if you didn't have much money. Because the scripture says in the Old Covenant that really they're supposed to give a bigger animal. But if you didn't have that, God wasn't going to make you broke just so you could, you know, dedicate your child. So he said, if you don't have enough for that goat or that ram or, or that calf, what you can do is you can, give, you can bring two turtle doves, two young pigeons would be significantly cheaper. So Joseph and Mary, this was their income bracket. They were a young couple. You've all been there. They were a young couple. They had enough for two turtle doves. Um, and uh, I imagine that they weren't going to dip into Jesus's uh, well, they didn't have the, the gifts of the, the Magi yet. They didn't have the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh yet. But even if they did, I don't think they dipped into that for this. So they, they brought their two young turtle doves, which if you ever wondered where that little line from, and it's probably going through your head right now. I, I can't imagine that anybody heard that verse and didn't in your head go, two turtle doves. We all did it. And if you didn't, I don't know why you didn't. But they brought it. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. We've talked about Simeon before, but I, I like to um, say again what I've said before about him. God says three things about him. He's righteous, he's devout, and he's looking. I've never met a righteous and devout person who's not also looking. See, if you stop looking... Things start dying. If you stop looking, the passion goes away. The life goes away. There needs to be, if you're righteous, praise the Lord. If you're devout, praise the Lord. But always, always keep looking. Looking for what? The consolation of Israel. Why was he looking for the consolation of Israel? Was it based on the, the hope? The God, things are so messed up. I just hope things start to work out. It, was it based on the fact that he goes, God's got to do something. I mean, look. We're, we're, we're as messed up as we've ever been. He's just got to come through. The reason he's looking is not because things are bad. He's not looking because he needs it. The reason he's looking, even though things were bad, the reason he's looking is because it was promised. You see, when I, when I go to the Lord in prayer about something, I know that he hears my cries. I know that he hears my prayers. And you know what? I know that no matter what I brought to him, he'd have an answer. He'd, he hears me. But you know, most of the time I go to the Lord in prayer when, when I need something. Now, there's plenty of times you go to prayer and you're not going for a need. You're just letting God to speak to you, and that's a good thing. But the times when you bring a petition to the Lord, when you really bring a specific request to Him, you know that the best way to do that is to find out what He's already said about that. 
Because then you're not going on the basis of this is what I need. You're going on the basis of this is what you've promised. And I believe that you're going to come through. I believe that I'm going to have what you say. I believe that you tell the truth. And you know what John says in 1 John? He says, I, we know that whatever we ask of God, if we ask according to his will, if we ask according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we have whatever we've asked for. And so the key is asking according to his will. And the way we know his will is first and foremost by his word. And there are things that his word doesn't specifically say. And that's why he gave us a spirit that can hear from God. And there are things, there's plenty of times, it's not a bad thing to go, God, what is your will? Or end the prayer with, (laughs) your will be done. That's okay too. But let's first look into the Word and say, what has He already said about it? Because you know what? Whether it's, if my question is whether I'm supposed to put my kid in soccer or volleyball, <laughs> and I'm sure God's got an opinion about it. Or if my question is, you know, what job should I take? Well, I, can't, I probably can't find a scripture and verse for that, right? But what I can say is, Lord, what's your will on this? But for the things He's already promised, It's a little insulting to go to him and go, if it's your will, do what you already said you'd do. How would you feel about that? How would you feel if you had made some promises to people and they came back to you later? You know, and you you said, you know what? I am going to be there for you. No matter what happens, I'm there for you. What if they came back to you and go, I don't know if you're going to be there for me or not. I mean, you don't have to. I don't want to put any pressure on you. I mean, you know, I mean, I know, so I'm not sure if you're going to do it. What if, what if you said, I'm going to be at your wedding? What if you said to this young person, I will be at your wedding, rain, snow, hurricane, apocalyptic disaster, I will be there. If I have to go with only three limbs, I'll go, but I'm there. And then later they came to you and said, not sure if you're coming or not, but if you are. You know, that may sound humble, that may sound modest. But you know what they're saying? They're saying, you know what? Your word's not reliable. If I don't know you're coming, and you said it over and over again, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, and then you say, well, if you come, what you're saying is, I can't really trust you. But if you do come, here's what you get. If my son, if I said to him, Moses, you know, when he starts be really being able to understand what I'm saying, I'm not sure what he understands right now, but if I said to him, Moses, I mean, you know what? I will will always make sure you have food. I will always make sure if I have to go without food, I'll make sure you have food. Do you think Moses would please me by coming to me and going, Dad, I mean, I'm not sure if you guys are going to feed me today. No pressure. You don't have to. That may sound humble, but that really, that hurts me as a father. Because what it says is my son doesn't trust that I'm going to provide. My own son doesn't trust me. My own son doesn't believe that I can provide for him. How much would that wound you? Well, what do you think it says to God when he's already promised something? Promised. He's promised it. And then you say, if you want to, you know, then, then it, it, it questions his character. So there are certain things you need to say, God, what's your will? There are certain things you should say, you know, I'm not clear in this, but your will be done. There are other things that he's made clear in his word, and those things you need to hold to and say, I don't know how. You don't have to tell him how he's going to do it. He may not tell you how he's going to do it, but you have to know he will keep his word. 
And so, Simeon is righteous, he's devout, he's looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. Why Simeon? Why did God play favorites with Simeon? Well, I imagine it, it had something to do with Simeon was the one that was looking for it. Now, granted, Simeon was born at a good time. If he had born, been born 500 years before, I don't think God would have said, I'll keep you alive for 500 years until you can see Jesus. But he did keep him alive a little bit longer than he should have been, probably, so that he could see Jesus. But because he's expecting the Messiah, because he's expecting the Lord says, okay, you'll see him. And it says he comes to the temple. He came in the spirit to the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out the customs of the law, then he took him into his arms and he blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Do you think Mary and Joseph brought the baby in and said, hang on, Messiah coming through. Get out of the way. Bring in the, bring in the Christ right here. Christ child, Messiah here. Come see the Messiah. Autographs, photographs right over here. $5. All you have is turtle doves. Good. We'll, we'll take it. You think that's really what was going down? Do you think they said to Simeon, hey, by the way, psst. son of God right here. This is the son of God for real. Not, not even lying to you. Son of God. No, he saw something. He walks into the temple. He sees a baby. And the temple is a busy place. This is Jerusalem. Don't you think there's other kids that have been born around the same time? Don't you think there's other people that are there for other reasons? It's busy. It's like the one temple. There's not temples all over the place. There's a temple, a big temple in Jerusalem. It's the temple. There's tons of people. And everybody's bumping into Mary and Joseph. Everybody's looking at the baby. Some people might have said, oh, what a sweet baby, Gucci, Gucci, Goo. But there's only one guy that says, wow, this is the Messiah. The guy that's looking. Why is he looking? Because it's been prophesied over and over again. But most people, maybe when they were a little kid, they heard it and they got excited. Maybe there was a, a period as a young person that they, that, that, fire and excitement got stirred up again they got excited again you know what he is coming the messiah is coming but for most of them the pharisees are proof the ones that should have been expecting him more than anybody else were the ones who knew everything about it but didn't really expect it to happen and i've met so many people that could give you every scripture on healing for instance and never really expect to see a miracle I've met people who, who, who know inside and out the Word of God on various topics, on, on how God can heal relationships, how he, can, how he can turn situations around. And they know the Word, but the expectation is just not there. They know everything about it. They know the theology, but they don't expect it. Maybe it's because they had to wait a little while. You notice that Simeon's an old man. When do you think he started expecting the Messiah would come? I don't think he started when he was an old man. I'm imagining he probably started as a young man. And every year, he had to think this might be the year. This could be the year. And you know what? We're, we're getting near to December 31st here. Now, their calendar was different. 
But imagine getting to the end of the year and saying, I thought it was going to be this year. There's a part of your heart that you have to guard. Because the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And you have to guard your heart that even if it didn't happen in the timeline you thought it would happen, that you don't fall in unbelief and just routine. I imagine Simeon had to keep that going in his heart. Every year that passed was a year that the Messiah didn't come. There were more years in his life, way more years in his life, where Messiah didn't come than the one he did come. And he didn't come till he was an old man. This guy had to wait a long time. Waiting is the thing that often throws us off our faith. Because our timing is so different. And I'm not telling you God doesn't do things instantly. I've seen lots of people healed instantly. I've seen things turn around instantly. I've seen tons of things. I mean, Jesus, when he was a grown man, I mean, all those people were healed instantly. With the exception of like, you know, the guy had to wash his eyes out in the pool of Siloam. But that's pretty instant. So I'm not saying God doesn't do things instantly. But there are things in your life that he's promised you and he didn't give you a date. Just said this is going to happen. And that the first few days you were pumped. Those first few weeks you were excited. You were listening. You know, maybe it was something that God used somebody else to say to you. Maybe it was somebody with a microphone and you got a recording of it and you listened to it over and over again. But I know for me, there's been things that God said and I've had people come up to me later and go, man, you remember what God said to you? This is exactly what he said was going to happen. And I go, I don't remember that at all. And they go, no, 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 no. 2002, remember, blah, 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 blah. And I'm going, I don't remember that at all. And I just have to thank God for his mercy because it really wasn't me holding on to what he said. Maybe he had to say it a few times. Do you know how many times it's creepy? But I'm going to tell you how many times I've been in different parts of the world and had somebody who didn't talk to anybody else who barely knew me say the exact same thing and the exact same words that somebody else said. And it's happened, I mean, there have been certain things I've heard five or six times, and I'm like, for real? And they're not talking to each other. They don't, and they don't know me well enough to know this stuff. But they're saying it in like the same phrasing. And I have to believe that's just God being patient with me, saying, you need to believe this more than you think you believe this. I know you say you believe this. You tell your friends, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. But you need to hear it again so you really believe. David McGrew said something great one time that really stuck with me. He's talking about this same issue, and he said, he said, you know, God doesn't tell you things you already really, really know. You may think you know them, but you don't know them or believe them like you think you believe them. He said, God doesn't come to you and say, you know, thus says the Lord, you're a boy, not a girl. You already know that if you're a boy, if you're a male. He says, you already know that. You don't have to be convinced of that. When he does say things to you again, second, third, fourth time, it may be, and you may go, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Well, I can't be coincidence that the same people are saying the same thing, and the guy keeps saying the same thing. That's just a weird coincidence. It couldn't be coincidence. What it probably is is that we've said, yeah, and, and somewhere in us we've tacitly agreed with it, nodded our head and smiled, praised the Lord, got excited for a little bit, but he's saying, no, 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 you really need to be expecting you really need to get, start the car and get ready to go. 
when we're young and new in the things of God, it's, it's real easy to hang on to those things. And when you've had to wait a little bit longer, you have to learn how to keep expectation and hope alive without saying, it should have happened by now. Simeon is an old man. He finally sees the Messiah because he never stopped looking. It goes on. And it says, his father and mother, in verse 33, were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that, that your thoughts from many hearts, the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, so another old person had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. Now, you could read that that way or you could also read that there was 84 years after the seven years that she was married, which would make her like over 100. Either way, she's old, right? <laughs> Don't mean to insult anybody who's getting close to the 80s. Uh, but it says she's advanced in years. This is, this is before modern medicine. She's advanced. So for some reason, now, well, let's just keep reading and then I'll talk about it. She's of the tribe of Asher. She's advanced in years. And then it says in verse 37, she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And what sticks out to me is first First of all, that she recognized the same thing that Simeon recognized. I don't know if she overheard what he was saying or what. But she got excited. But here's what's really interesting. She leaves the temple and begins to speak of him to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Which means she knew people who were looking for the same thing. Which means they must have talked about it. They knew each other. There were people who were looking and there were people who weren't. And the people who were looking encouraged one another. The people who were looking knew who each other were, knew who each other was. They knew each other. They said, We're we're looking, right? They got excited. She just she finally sees Jesus and gets excited. He's he's just a baby. And he doesn't have a halo over his head. There's not angels you know, appearing to everybody in this temple. It's just a baby. Just walking through the temple. And you know if his parents couldn't have afforded the big sacrifice, if all they could afford was two birds, they probably weren't dressed real fancy. Joseph, his line was the royal line of David. Mary came through another linear line from David, not the royal line, but another line. But even though they had royalty in their blood, they sure didn't look like it come here and it's not what it's not how Jesus is dressed it's not it's not all the fancy stuff that makes him the Messiah it's the fact that there's that Holy Spirit that witnesses this is what you've been looking for this is what you've been waiting for guys what's amazing is all through Jesus' ministry when he finally does reach that age did you know that the Bible says when he was on this earth that his own brothers didn't believe in him? That's depressing. It says the Pharisees who knew the Messiah, 
as far as theology goes, they knew what he was going to look like. They knew where he's from. There's an argument that takes place in the temple where they say, no, no, the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. This guy's from Galilee. Which if they'd done their research, they'd find out he was born in Bethlehem. But they knew everything about him. But they're not expecting it. I've said this before, but let me say it again. When Herod asks his buddies, where's the Messiah going to be born? He asks the people that know. He asks the scribes. He asks the experts. They tell him in Bethlehem. Yet none of them are curious to go check it out. Why do you ask? Eh, some wise men came, saw a star, I don't know. Huh. Well, I guess that's that then. If that were you, somebody said, by the way, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? Bethlehem. Ooh, checks out. Okay. Why do you ask? Well, some people said they saw the star, that this was it, that they thought the Messiah was being born right now. If, you, if that is what you had studied all your life, that was your major, you got your doctorate in that, don't you think you'd say, can I go? Then none of them do. Why? Because deep down they don't expect it's him. Deep down they think it's another fraud. They don't really believe he's coming. Jesus said to the Pharisees, they said, we want a sign. He goes, you're not going to get one. Does that mean he's not going to do any more miracles? No, he did tons of miracles after that. He raised people from the dead. He gave people food. He, I mean, he, he healed the sick. He cleansed the lepers. I mean, lame walked, blind saw. It doesn't mean he's going to stop doing miracles. It means they're not going to see anything because if this wasn't enough for you, nothing will be. Your heart's hardened. You're not, you're not going to see what you're looking for. John 11 We come to the time where Lazarus is raised from the dead. And you know that Jesus first finds out about Lazarus with his disciples a day's journey from Bethany. He hears that Lazarus is sick. And I'll just recap this because for for time we'll read something in a minute. But I'll just recap this for you. It's, the Bible says that they came, they said, Lazarus is sick. They're asking for him. It's a day's journey. It says when he hears this, he waits two days. Which is an odd reaction, isn't it? He waits two days, then leaves. Takes him a day to get there. When he gets there, Lazarus has been dead four days. Can we do some math? This means took a day for them to get to him. Took two days of him waiting. Took another day for him to get there. That's four days. That means Lazarus died not long after those messengers left. By the time they came to Jesus, Lazarus had already been dead for a day. So don't feel like Jesus was just being mean, going, I'll wait till he dies. There'll be a bigger miracle. Lazarus was already dead. But why did he wait two extra days? Well, a lot of you know that the superstition and tradition of the time was that the spirit kind of hung around for three days. That if a guy could be raised from the dead, it's a miracle, but it's a major miracle if he's after three days he gets raised from the dead. In fact, it was one of the, one of the last defining proofs of the Messiah. So Jesus said, you know, to Jesus, one day dead, four days dead, it's all the same, right? He's dead. <laughs> his spirit's not there. His soul's not there. So Jesus goes ahead and waits it out so that 
God will be glorified in this, that nobody will be able to say, well, <laughs> it's not as big of a deal. I don't know what kind of world you live in where it's not as big of a deal for God to be raised from the dead after two days. No, that's not a big deal. Anybody could do that. You just have to yell loud enough. They'll get up. But he waited it out. Why? It's his mercy for the people so that God would be glorified, so there would no be, be no excuse, no argument. Everybody would see this was a resurrection here. In John chapter 11, he raises Lazarus from the dead. And it says in verse 45, after this happens, Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things what Jesus had done. I don't know if they're tattletales or if they're trying to win the Pharisees over. It sounds, with that but at the beginning of the verse, it sounds like they were tattletales, like they were trying to, uh, you know, yeah, cause some strife problems. Verse 47, Therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. Notice the word signs. They don't say he's performing many miracles. They say he's performing many signs. That word signs is important because what that word signs means are proofs that he is who he says he is. Signs of the Messiah. They all know what that means. They don't say he's doing really cool stuff. He's performing signs. That word signs, if you were to look it up, means attesting miracles. Confirmation. So even they realize that he's done everything we ever thought the Messiah was going to be able to do. But their hearts have become so hardened to the fact that it says this, if we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. Oh, no. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Oh, there it is. See, they got to a point where they liked their jobs more than they liked what they thought they believed or said they believed. Don't, <laughs> wouldn't you hate to be that guy who's preaching something every day, but you'd rather have your job than Jesus, than the Messiah, than what God's promised. They're more worried that the Romans are going to come take their job and their position away, and they won't have their nice little place of power where they can walk through the streets and have everybody call them father and give them discounts on stuff. They're worried about that rather than the fact that this is the one we've been waiting for. Is it possible for them to be able to say, this is the one we've been preaching about without saying this is the one we've been waiting for? There's a challenge for us. You're a, you can preach something, you can say you believe something and not be waiting for it, not be expecting it, not really expect it to round the corner. And that only comes through a slow, gradual hardening of the heart. And may that never happen to you. And if it ever has, God can soften that heart in an instant. You just need to realize it, repent, turn around. Here's what happens. One of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. They talk nice to each other. Nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now this he did not say on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was, on, was going to die for the nation. He didn't realize it. He thought he, was, he thought he was, you know, against Jesus by saying this. He thought he was, you know, condemning him to death. But because he was high priest, God used that little guy as bad as he was. This is the guy that later will really 
turns out to be the real villain <laughs> when, when Jesus is arrested. As bad as he was, God used him to say this one thing. He thought he was saying something different. Verse 52, and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also, this is not Caiaphas, this is the scripture now, that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Thank God that's us. So from that day on, they plan together to kill him. From the day that they hear that he finally did it, he raised a man who had been dead for four days from the dead. They said, that's it, let's kill him. Now they've already talked about killing him before. It's not the first time. But now they're determined he's got to die. Isn't that funny? Why? Because he just proved once again, and this time it was bigger than all the others, I guess, to them that he was who he said he was. But they become so hardened that they'd rather kill him than accept that. They've believed this all their life. And this is, I mean, Jewish training to, to be in this position starts at a very young age. They would have learned so much about the Messiah. I imagine they could have, they could have recited by memory all these facts and, and prophecies about him. At some point in your, their life, don't you think that they really probably were expecting him? Don't you think at some point in their life that they had a love for God and for his promises and, and it got cold? They got so used to preaching it that they forgot to expect it. And when it did come and showed itself right in front of their faces, they didn't want to see it anymore. It says this, Therefore, Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews. But he went away from there to the country near the wilderness and to a city called Ephraim. There he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was near and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. So they were seeking for Jesus and were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they might seize him. It's amazing because you always think that the ones that oppose Jesus and the ones that oppose God and his work are the ones that just don't know. They just don't know enough. I want to tell you, knowledge is not always the solution. Just knowing a little bit more information doesn't fix everything. You've got to take what you know and mix it with faith. You've got to believe that he's going to keep his word. It's not enough to know all the verses. You've got to expect it. It's not enough to just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. In theory, he could do that. Oh, if I could tell you how many times I've had people that I've, I've loved and I've wanted them to just believe what the scripture says about them. And they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe that could happen. But they don't. They believe that it's somewhere in the cosmos, there's a possibility it could happen, but there's never an expectation that it ever would. So what happens when you don't expect it? Anything that looks like it, you reject. You push away. When God is saying, here's what I'm looking for, righteous people, devout people, and I'm looking for people who will look for me. I'm looking for people who will look to see that I, I mean, this is what I promised. Keep expecting it. The two biggest expectors when Jesus is a little baby. The two people that get called out in Luke chapter 2 
Those two are old people who've been waiting for a long time. Thank God that they kept waiting. That when 50 years went by, they still believed. Because of their faith and patience, they saw salvation. Their eyes saw. And Simeon doesn't say, now that you've done this much, could I stay alive for another 33 years? I just want to see it all play out. It's enough to him that he just got to see the salvation of the Lord. No, no, no. I don't have to see it all. I know I've seen enough. I've seen. This is our salvation. He's here. I want to tell you something very just personal for me. There's been plenty of times where I know what God said. I believed it. And I kind of moved on and kind of forgot. It wasn't that I disbelieved it. It wasn't that I actively said that's not true anymore. I just didn't keep expecting it anymore. I'd gotten to that point where you just... You know when you have high expectations and you don't see it when you think you should see it? And you almost get upset. And I've said this before. I said this to my wife. I said, Tia, sometimes we start a picture or God starts a picture. He starts to paint a picture. And we get so excited when we see it, we finish it for him. And then when it doesn't pan out exactly like we painted it, We say, you didn't do what you said you were going to do. And he said, I didn't paint all of that. Let me finish it. But you get so excited, you want to finish it. Like when God tells you someday, you're going to do this. And instead of waiting or or pressing in to figure out how that's going to happen, to say, God, I'm here, do whatever you want through me, you start to say, all right, let's make it happen. And when that doesn't pan out, because... He didn't make it happen. You made it happen. You blame him. And then you stop expecting it. You say, I must have missed God. He must have missed God. She must have missed God. Because it didn't happen like that. And what happens is, even if it's a small area of your life, you, you harden in that area. And I can tell you, hardness of heart never stays isolated. Never. You'll never be hard in just one little area. It always spreads. What you have to do is guard your heart. We have to recall the words that God spoke about Abraham in Romans. You know, Abraham fell into that trap of expecting something and then thinking, maybe I need to do this. He had a little um, an oops moment, didn't he? He goes and tries to make it happen on his own, has a kid he wasn't supposed to have. God still blesses that kid, but it's not Isaac. He got, thank God he got back on track. And he believed that God could do something through Sarah just as well as he could do something through him. But in Romans it says he hoped against hope. And the reason he did is it says he looked at his body, as good as dead, the deadness of Sarah's womb. It says he considered him who was faithful. He considered that he was able to raise the dead. He, was consid- he considered that God was faithful. And he asked these two questions. Is God able and is he faithful? The answer to those questions is always yes. Is he strong enough? Is he trustworthy enough? The answers are always yes. And in those times where you're an old person and you've been waiting for a long time, now for us, 20 days is a long time. 20 minutes is a long time. Well, maybe let God expand that. 
think like he thinks. This, a thousand years, is just like a day. I mean, it, and, and that's not a mathematical equation. One thousand years equals one day to the Lord. He's just saying, you know, time means nothing to God. We need to think like he thinks and just say, is he faithful? Yes. Is he only faithful for 20 minutes or is he faithful forever? He's faithful forever. Okay, I believe it and I'm going to keep my heart fresh and let God comfort and encourage me in such a way, let the Holy Spirit work in me that I can stay expectant without being disappointed. Because the scripture says, he who believes in me will never be disappointed. Never. So we wait eagerly. You might say, that's tiring. That sounds exhausting, eagerly waiting. I'd rather just not think about it. I'd rather just be surprised. Oh, he's here. That's not what he's looking for. He wants you to eagerly expect. And there's a way to do that, guys, without setting yourself up for disappointment. There are times where you just need to remove the deadlines. Just get them out of the way. If God, if God gave you a deadline, keep the deadline. If he didn't give you one, don't put one there. Say, all right, he's coming through. I will stand fa- in faith and patience until I see it. So I know he promised it. I know I'll see it. I'm not moving. I'm not moving. And every day I'll get up and praise the Lord as if I already have it. Because he said, when you pray, believe you've received. So I start thanking him from the moment I pray because you say thank you the moment you receive it. He says, when you believe it, believe you have received it. And I've said this before about Brother Spiro, but I know Spiro's account is good. If he gives me a check, I'm not going to wait till it cashes to say thank you. Right? <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> there may be a thank you coming. We'll see if this passes. No, his check is as good as his word. I know that'll go through. So I go ahead and say thank you when I get the check. Because I trust that he's got the funds to back it up. Well, God's got the funds to back up whatever he's promised to you. So when do you say thank you? When do you start to thank him? When the check clears or when you receive the promise? When you receive the promise. It's as good as cleared in heaven. You just keep standing. You just keep praying. Daniel prayed for 21 days straight until he got the answer he's looking for. Didn't stop. Thank God. Righteous, devout, and looking. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand up. All right, here's the homework. You didn't think we'd get off easy, right? Here's the homework. Here's what you need to do, and I'm not going to check this. I just want you to be on the honor system. I want you to go home and consider what God has said about you and about the church and about the city and about anything that concerns you, your family, whatever. If you're part of this family, remember those things. If you're part of a natural family, remember those things. If you're part of the city, remember that. If you're part of the province, remember that. Part of the nation, remember that. Everything that concerns you, all right? I want you to remember the things God has said. I want you to look and check into your own heart and say, do I believe that like I used to believe that? Do I still believe that's going to happen? You know, David said, I would have given up I would have despaired if I had not believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living the land of the living means not just in the sweet by and by but in my lifetime 
I will live to see the promises of God. So your homework is, I want you to go down and write down everything you can remember. If you have it written down, go get it out. Look at it. Check your heart. Do I believe this like I believed it when I heard it? Was this from God? That's the first thing you've got to ask. Because not everybody who says, thus says the Lord, is, is thus says the Lord. But how did you respond when you heard it? How, what, what did you feel in your spirit? Don't judge it by whether it's happened yet or not. Judge it by, judge it by the Holy Spirit within you. Does it line up with the Word of God? Yes. Okay, if it lines up with the Word of God, then, then when you first heard that, what happened in your spirit? You've got the, that spirit in you that can discern between what somebody's saying and whether it's God or not. How did you react to that? How did you respond? How did you feel in here? How do you feel in here now? Pray over it. Feel how you feel after you pray a little bit. And then I want you to analyze. And if you need to say, God, I don't believe this like I used to believe it, but I know it's true. If you're looking at certain scriptures that you used to hold on to so tight, used to mean so much to you, used to have them on your refrigerator. But now you can quote them, but you don't really have that same fire about them. Go back. Say, God, stir it up again in me that I'll expect this like I did when I first believed. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we, we love you. We thank you for your word. Your word is worth so much to us. It's a treasure. It's gold. We ask you, Lord, that you revive in us an expectation of you, that we would have a high level of expectation of our God, that, Lord, you would revive in us that eager and earnest expectation, that faith and patience that says if He's promised it, I will see it. I will wait as long as I have to wait, but I'm not giving up my hope. I'm not losing hope. I'm not going to let this just go back to routine. I'm not going to let this be just another religious exercise, another thing I can quote but don't believe. No, Lord, I want to believe. I want to have that expectation so that every day I get up and I look for it. Every day I look with fresh eyes and say, your mercies are new every morning. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Stir it up in us, Lord. Stir it up. Stir it up so that we're not those God's frozen people that that know all the facts but don't have the fire in us. We want to know your word, but we want to believe it. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, and we thank you for your promises. Thank you for speaking to your people. Thank you for not being silent. Thank you for all of your precious and magnificent promises. We receive them in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you very much.